Hi, my name is Mary Pat Jacobs, and welcome to Beyond the Echo Chamber podcast. Why are we here? I live in an echo chamber. We all do to some extent. The echo chamber I'm referring to contains women who are frankly tired, frustrated, and angry about the inequality we experience on a regular basis. Participating in this little bubble, this little female echo chamber, it's validating, it's cathartic, but for me, this only made me more angry with men and more resentful with my husband. And last time I checked, resentment doesn't lead to meaningful change. Like Liz Plank says, we can't improve women's lives if we don't help men. So what I'm doing here is inviting men into conversation about gender equality and masculinity so that you can feel empowered to do the same in whatever spaces it makes sense to have these conversations. It could be your workplace, it could be your church, your family, your home, your broader community. Having these conversations, these uncomfortable conversations is important. So come with me as we go beyond the echo chamber, one conversation at a time. Having a baby is an experience like no other. It requires the most emotional, mental, and physical strength one can muster. And in this episode, I talk with Rob, who's a Chicago native, whose husband is Jess, my coworker and work wife, although we're not really using labels here. Rob is a new father to Millie, who's six months old, and she is just adorable. Absolutely adorable as I'll get out. He gets on his soapbox in this episode about childcare and parental leave. And let me just tell you, it is so refreshing to hear a man talk as passionately about these topics as women. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, Rob, to another episode of Beyond the Echo Chamber. It's great to have you here today. I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, but first I actually probably should say how we know one another. I work with your lovely wife, Jess. She is fantastic. And I am so grateful that you have offered to come on to the podcast. You're my you are my first video guest. You are also the first non-family member. <laughs> so this is really me going beyond yeah to really even truly like the name of the podcast going beyond the echo chamber here to talk to someone who I know a little bit but now I'm getting to know you a little bit more by having this conversation so welcome thank you well first thank you for having me I am totally fanboying out right now one just listening to the first eight episodes Jess and I were working at the same kitchen table for like nine months which was the pandemic was miserable for so many reasons but that was like I love that Part of it, which is weird to say, but like I got to like experience Jess, experience her work, and you are such a big part of that, and have been such a big part of that. And so I would always try to eat whenever I knew it was like a Mary Pat status or like a HR <laughs> status. Like I would always try to like eavesdrop just to see what you guys are going to talk about because it's always like shout out to the HR teams because you guys deal with so much stuff. Yeah, that it's like I just if. I don't know. Go go thank your HR business partner or team because they do way more than than I think people give you guys credit for. But but no, I am incredibly happy to be here and to to talk with you. I'm I'm excited. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I so appreciate that. And <laughs> yeah. definitely I just want everyone who's listening to know like I did not 
tell you to shout out no. HR teams. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's just you genuinely recognizing the work that HR teams do. It's it's not unlike being a mom or like the invisible labor that we take on. It's very, it's all in the same. There's probably like a strong Venn diagram there. Oh, it's basically a circle. So tell me a little bit about you, Rob. Yeah. So I live with my, my wife, Jess, our daughter, Millie, who is six and a half months old, which is funny because like I, that's, you can't even really remember a time like before she was here, you know, she's, that's, that's kind of, uh, that's just like what we do now, you know, we're just parents to, to a little baby. Um, but no, so we, we live in, in the, the Chicago suburbs, uh, same spot actually where I went to high school, but yeah, no, we're just honestly just doing like the new parent thing. Like that's, that is most of what, what we're do most, if not all of, of what we're doing. So tell me a little bit, Rob, what do you, what do you do for work? So I work in marketing. I work in specifically pet food marketing. So I actually, the reason we were in St. Louis, my wife and I, so we were, I should say we were originally both from the Chicago area. We went to St. Louis when I was attending grad school at Wash U in St. Louis. I had a really wonderful experience and I joined Nestle Purina coming right out of business school. So I spent some, some time there kind of in the middle of the pandemic, Jess and I were able to sort of make the, the big move home back home to, to Chicago. And I was able to continue to, to work in the space. So it's been great. Not absolutely not where I thought I was going to be. It was just kind of one of those things where, you know, it's just the way events sort of lined up. Actually, before I went to business school, I used to be an elementary school teacher. So it was just the total left turn from, from what I used to be doing. Definitely. But I love it. It's a great time. That's great. Isn't it funny yeah. how like you set out thinking you're going to do something and then you change it along the Life way. Life happens, it's, man. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, you have a six and a half month old daughter. Mm -hmm. Let's talk yeah. about what the experience was like. This kind of a grand question, a broad question of what it was like becoming a father. Oh gosh. It's, it's everything that people tell you it's going to be. And it's also nothing like anything that people tell you it's, it's going to be. It's so it, I mean, it, it just, it changes everything like just by, by virtue of like bringing another human into the world. And like, you can sort of get there in a, in an intellectually, like we knew what we were doing when we were like, okay, well, we, we, we want to like grow our family. We want to have a baby. Like we were like understanding of like what that meant on paper, right? But then when it actually happens, it's it's just it's it's the most like amazing and and difficult, but but like you just you can't wait to get up and do it again feeling that it's just it's really hard to describe. I and mean, we we're very lucky that that we're both able to to work from home. So that that dynamic has been helpful that we've been able to 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 be here you know, Jess had, I think it's, it's never long enough, but, but like relative to other companies, maternity leaves, like she had a very, you know, good lengthy maternity leave. Obviously I wish it could be longer, like it should be longer, but relative to the average, like at least she was able to spend a, a good amount of time at home. So all things considered, like we were, we were very fortunate and, and, you know, as much as you can kind of ease into it, but there's really no easing into it. Like you're just jumping right in, into the deep end, but but no, it's it's been wonderful. I mean, she's she's entering that age now where like she's having fun, you know, like we're getting to the point where like her personality is coming out and it's it's been great. I mean, it's like every single day is is something new and something exciting. 
sleep is getting better, which is phenomenal. Like she's sleeping more, which is really, yeah, nice which babe. is like a really all you, you, you can ever <laughs> ask for. Like when you're in like the, that like haze of the first like eight weeks, you're like, this is just my life now of only sleeping in, you know, half hour to 60 minute increments. Mm, <laughs> but, but yeah. we're finally past that knock on wood, but no, she, she's doing <laughs> yeah. really well. She's, you know, happy and healthy and smiling and giggling and, you know, doing, doing all the fun stuff, but, but it's been great. I mean, it, it's, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And like, it was, you know, it was one of those things where like, I just transitioned really quickly into like being a mom. Like she did it. She, it was just like, it just happened. And like, mm. it was really, really cool. To, like it almost like happened in the hospital. Like, it's just like a thing that just like, I don't know if it's like the nature or nurture of it's it, just but like, like it primal. just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It just happened. And like, for me, um, not that I didn't like, I loved being her dad right away, but I didn't know how to be a dad. Like it took some time and it took some learning. And it's like, I, you know, figuring out like, this is the hungry cry versus this is I'm a gas, you know, like I've got gas cry, like all of that stuff. Like Jess just knew, like, I, I don't know how, but she just did. And so for me, there was like this, this kind of learning process and, and trying to understand her cues and, and what does everything mean that, that I just didn't know, you know, you just, you just don't know until you're in it. But I, I was very, like, I am very fortunate that like Jess was so supportive of me trying to learn and like, not just the way in which she like gave me kind of space to like figure things out was, was really important. Yeah. So, and this is kind of an odd question. So you bring that up of, she gave you space. I know that there can be this dynamic when, especially when the first baby is born, that the mom's just sort of like, you don't, you're messing this up. You don't know how to do this. Just let me do this. And then I think what that ends up doing, and we talk about division of labor on the podcast, like it ends up creating more and more of a divide where then that partner that wasn't the, I'm going to use the appropriate terms here, birthing parent mm -hmm. is who's there like supporting and caregiving as best as they can just starts to do that less or feel like they can't fully participate in the process or support the process in a way that's actually helpful. So it's like, just, it starts to get more of a division. So it's, it's great to hear that you both have figured out like what that dance is like, but I'm, I'm curious, and this is kind of an odd question, Rob, yeah. what was it that made you feel like I'm not going to take a back seat and just let Jess do this because she seems like such a natural, like, I, like you, it sounds like you were curious and willing and motivated to help. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it's the, so the process of childbirth and labor is about as unfair and unequal as it gets in a relationship, right? Like I, I can't even imagine like a more extreme version of like the responsibility of the, the birthing parent relative to the non-birthing parent. Like it's, 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 I can't, it's, you can't quantify it. Like it's, it's even hard to like articulate just how uneven that balance is. And this was, you know, my first time obviously experiencing kind of this side of the, the healthcare system. And this idea that, you know, I, I spent, I, without giving, without getting too in, in the weeds, like when I was in college, I had this sort of cardiac issue and I spent 10 days in, in the hospital. And that, like, I, that was, it was a really difficult, like, kind of brutal experience of spending that amount of time in the hospital. 
but it doesn't even hold like a candle to to what you know Jess went through, and like I felt like I was out of commission for like the next year, you know, just by like sure. being and 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 so you know watching what Jess had to to go through and just how unequal it was, I'm like, well, I have to do something. Like I can't like this can't all possibly fall to, you know, in the my wife Jess. Like that's just there's just no. It just was never really an option for me to say that like, okay, well, not only did mm-hmm. you give birth, not only are you recovering, but you're not only, are you know, keeping our baby alive is like, like your body is producing the thing that's keeping our baby alive right now. Right. Like, all, like the least I could do is figure out how to soothe our daughter when she's gassy. Like that just seems like the lowest thing that I could, I could possibly do here. And so I, I, I was like motivated to try to figure it out. Like it wasn't easy. I mean, I, I, you know, Millie, our, my daughter, like we, we went through this kind of like two or three week period where like, I really struggled to like do the right thing to soothe her. Like it just didn't happen right away. You know, I, and, and again, like Jess was able to just do it, but you know, there were times where like, I wanted Jess to go take a nap cause she hadn't slept in like three days. And so I would just do whatever I could to like, I would like march around. So this one night, I, I can't remember this. She might've been like two weeks old at this point. And Jess was just trying to sleep and she had just ate. So I knew we didn't think she was hungry, but she was just crying and she wouldn't stop. And so I, the only thing that would, that would soothe her was like me holding her, but like marching, like in like a very like up and down. <laughs> and so I marched around our kitchen island from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. Oh and I, I came, I was just like dripping with sweat, but she was like relaxed and like, I felt accomplished. And I'm just thinking like the whole time, like it's literally the least I could do is to try to give, you know, just two hours to sleep. And I'm just like, and I'm getting my workout in. <laughs> yeah. Um, you're getting your steps in for sure. Exactly. Your so, marches in. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. Um, and so it, it was just like the... I really do think, and, and I had like very very good male role models growing up just like my dad grandfathers on both sides but the dynamic in those marriages was in in each of those cases was the the woman stayed home and and the man went went to work and so like the the division of labor as it related to childcare was just it just fell on like my mom or both my grandmas which is not to say they weren't involved. My dad was incredibly involved, but it's just, there's just so many hours in the day, right? Like that's just how sure. it works. And so because Jess was, had every intention on going back to work, I just sort of knew like, we we're going to have to figure something out. Like it cannot possibly just all fall on her. And so we just, you just kind of figure it out, I guess. Yeah. Was it something that you discussed before you had Melly, or was it something that like, once you were in it, and you were seeing it all play out. How did that work? Yeah, it was probably a little bit of both. I think we definitely, it is funny though, how the conversation changes. So like before we had Millie, like there was never even, there was never a question whether or not Jess was going to go back to work. Like it was like, she was going to go back. Like she's worked extremely hard for her career. Like I would have felt awful if, if having a kid meant her leaving the workforce and then you have your baby and you realize how difficult it is to find childcare. And thank God yes. we, you know, we, we came and we were able to figure it out and, and Jess is back at work. But, but there was like, you know, we, we started to just broach the subject of like, well, what happens if you don't go back? Right. And, and there's yeah. not because it didn't want her to, it's just because like you, you almost feel like you don't have options. Like there's, mm-hmm. it's really, really difficult. 
but but no, I think it was a little bit of both in terms of like, you know, Jess is really good about sort of setting boundaries in terms of like what she's willing to do, how how far she's willing to go and like where I can come in and, and be a support. And so I, I think we've, you know, part of part of our relationship, I think where I give a lot of credit to sort of where we are today was because when we were in St. Louis, we were kind of, we were by ourselves, like, you know, all of our family and friends, like we didn't, it, it, was, it was just us. It was us and our, at the time, our dog, Maisie. And we really just, it's, it's so cliche, but like, we really were like each other's like best friends at, at the time, even before we got married. And so I think it's, it's also just figuring out what the right dynamic is to that that's going to enable each of us to, to succeed in, in whatever we're doing. And I think that we do a really, I'm not trying to blow so much smoke up our own rear ends, but I do think we do a really <laughs> good job of like figuring out like, what do we need to do in order to be the right type of support for the other in whatever this either goal or activity, or in the case of parenting, like, what do I need to do to give Jess a break? What does she need to do to give me a break? I mean, even now it's like, you know, some, like we will trade off, like who puts her to bed each night. And like, there's times when I just can't do it and Jess will come up and she'll say, you know, let me take it from here or vice versa. I'll come up. And so we really do try to read each other's signals and do the best we can to, to, to just be a, a support knowing that like, you know, to use your phrase, like the rising tide kind of lifts all boats there. Like we, if we're doing this right, like hopefully that'll help sort of de-stress the the situation. I feel like the dynamics that you've talked about in terms of the shared responsibilities, that division of labor, I think, I actually feel like that's not as common. So if you want to blow smoke, if you want to celebrate that, like, I think that's great. I think that's what you're describing is sort of the ideal circumstance because what i hear you saying is like there's there's communication between the two of you there's you said like reading signals so paying attention to like having that awareness and setting boundaries like just setting boundaries i remember a conversation jess and i had before she had millie where i probably went overboard and like giving her advice or like <laughs> saying yeah. what to expect and everything but we were talking about that uh, you know what how that how that shakes things up you think things are totally fine and like yeah it's very equitable in your relationship and then you have a kid and you're like whoa like because one partner is naturally having to do more it, like especially if you're trying to to breastfeed or pump right. or whatever it's just more and then that partner's also recovering from birth no matter what you're doing for your feeding and so well, like yeah. i remember being kind of thrust into that and thinking wow we're good and then i was i'm like oh gosh we probably need to revisit some things that I think were assumed or maybe just don't work right now. Like I used to mm -hmm. cook, which I think about that now. And that is crazy. Cause I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can make a grilled cheese. I can make some <laughs> eggs, but Josh is good at cooking and he loves it. So like it ended up, he started to take on that role, which made so much sense, but it's like, we had to have those conversations and sometimes shit kind of hits the fan. And then you're like, we have it get it reach, reaches that kind of fever pitch moment and then you have the conversation and you and you have to be open to changing i think that's the other thing is some people don't want to change and they're very comfortable mm -hmm. and that's not great either <laughs> no i mean and especially like when you it, you're 100 right and i think like especially when you have a 
kid, like if you if you never plan on like being a flexible person, like don't you, then maybe you shouldn't be having kids because like it's everything is upended. Like our schedule is is her nap schedule. Like well, we can't just like like yep. I you know like I, we I, and and that's one of those things too where I I was probably a little hard on some of my friends who had kids before us because like we'd want to hang out we'd want to go golfing we want to do this and that and they you know they just couldn't or they had to be really pick you know kind of pick and choose when when they would hang out and it's like I I like wish I could go like shake myself because it was so like not understanding of just how much your life changes when you have a baby like you have to be you you don't have an option like you have to do it you know, you're going to get ready to like leave to like go somewhere and your baby's going to have a blowout. Like you're going to be 10 minutes late because your baby, like it's always it's just going to happen. Always. <laughs> it's, the blowouts only happen when you're on your way out the door. Exactly. So like you just got to plan for this stuff, but no, it's, it's true. And, and kind of like along those similar lines, like I, I'm honestly embarrassed at the amount of you know, when I first, I thought it was a sign of like, I was really dedicated and working hard by scheduling 8.30 or 8 a.m. meetings. And like people with kids, I, I just like, I'm so angry at myself for doing stuff like that without like thinking or having any sense of what it's like to, you know, be dealing with your kid in the morning, just trying to either get them out the door if they're old enough that they're going to school or if they, if you have a baby, like coordinating childcare all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that like, it's such uh it just changes the way you see the world in, in every way. And so if any one of those people who I scheduled an 8am meeting is listening, I am so sorry. It's, I just, I genuinely feel terrible about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you talked about childcare a little bit before. So, and I wanted to reference, there was a Forbes article that I mm. found that has lots of statistics about it. So yep. hopefully I can read the printing off of my really mediocre printer okay so from this forbes article that was talking about childcare, it said according to the research 52 percent of mothers are considering leaving the workforce due to inadequate child care with 33 percent unable to find affordable care already out of work in 2023 the percentage of stay-at-home mothers rose to 25 percent a significant increase from 15 percent in 2022 so i remember during covid there was a like mass exodus of women from the workforce that they called the, I think they called it the she session. And I think the numbers have changed. Yeah. Yeah. Like a recession. She just massive amounts of mothers because we were in this moment of like, if you have kids and they're young kids, and even if they're not, they were kids that had to do online school. There are just so many things to manage. So how could you do that and have calls all day or be working while your kids are running? And, and we did. We, we experienced that too. But I think for so many people, it got to a point where like that just wasn't going to work. And I right. feel like when those dynamics happen, it's the woman that ends up leaving instead of the man if you're in that kind of a, a relationship. So I know that there's a, a media company called The Skim. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, Rob, but mm-hmm. the two owners, the founders, um, they have talked about the childcare crisis and they do a lot of communication about it. So I feel like I've learned so much and I love that they're getting a platform for it, like that they're, they're getting the word out. First, it started with companies, they called it show us your leave. And it was companies talking about their parental leave policies. And now it's like companies talking about what they're doing for childcare. So really 
long way of opening all of that up here, but you talked about childcare and like having those conversations with Jess about like, how, how is this going to work? Like, is it going to work? Talk to me about, about how you started to identify what your childcare plans were going to be. Did it happen before you had Millie? Was it happening? Like, just help me understand how that all played out for you guys. Yeah. So we, we knew at least initially we were going to explore both what the nanny options were having kind of in-home help and then what the daycare options were after Millie was born. We really, to be totally frank, like we, we just were trying to like just survive the next day that yep. the, the actual childcare conversations, I don't think we started having in earnest until maybe eight or 10 weeks after she was born, because then, you know, at that point, Jessica kind of start to see, you know, work was, you know, she was going to be returning to work relatively soon. And so then it just became, you know, what, what route do we want to take? Do we want to you know, try the daycare thing or do we want to have, have a nanny? I, we saw a few daycares and all my, like, they were very, very nice. I could not, I was just not in a place like me personally, I could not imagine sending her Millie at, you know, this young, tiny age to, to an all day. Like I, I could not stomach it. I'd still like tear up thinking about it. I just, I just couldn't do it. And on top of it, just the expense of it was, I mean, it was going to be more expensive than I went to the university of Illinois. Like it was going to be more expensive than my college education. Like it, it was wild how much it was. So after we sort of decided that we were going to go the, the nanny route or having in-home help or in-home care for Millie, we were sort of introduced to this whole ecosystem of like how to find a nanny. And it, there's like all these Facebook groups, there's these apps, like it, it was, again, a whole new world that we had absolutely no idea existed. And at this time, I was already back at work and, you know, Jess was still on her maternity leave. So Jess did most of the like like the tactical like actually doing the research for it and and trying to see what the options were calling the prospective nannies interviewing them uh before we had like an in-home interview so she took on frankly the majority of that work in the you know 30 to 45 minutes that millie went down for a nap like it was okay time to find a time to find a nanny and and we're even in like a very fortunate position where both of you know, my mom, Jess's mom can come over once or twice a week. And so we were really just looking for a nanny for, for a few days a week. But that whole process is, it's, it's just, again, like, I don't know, I, I don't have like good words other than it's just unfair. Like, the, it's just unfair. You know, we're, we're, there's the childcare system in this country is just abysmal. It's, 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 it, and again, you don't experience it and you don't really think about it until you have a kid. And then you realize just how few options are out there. And from like, you know, I can only sort of speak to the, to the corporate experience, but big companies can do better in terms of their maternity leave, just full stop. Like it's not, it doesn't really take that much creativity to figure it out. And what really like annoys me is, you know, when the baby's coming, right? Like if you tell your company at the five or six month mark, whenever it is you feel comfortable telling your company that you're pregnant, your manager, like if you have 60, 90, 100 days to plan, like you can figure out where the work needs to go. It's just not that difficult. You you know, I, it's, it just isn't. You know, you hear the things that I do every single day, hear the things that I do to kind of keep the business running or the things that the team needs, 
here are the three to four big keystone projects. You figure out which ones of those that, that the company wants to keep afloat and then they 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 spread the work out. Like it, it's just is not that difficult. And again, I'm speaking for, for kind of like big corporations. I understand like in, in different settings, like it, it is different in service industry or really small company. I, I get like there's some differences. Big companies though, it's there's absolutely no reason that that new moms or birthing parents can't get a full year. Just full stop. Like it does not take that much creativity to figure it out. And like, if we've learned anything in the pandemic, like there's a lot of slack in these companies. Like you can figure out where to put the work. And yeah. so like small and and I would quantify that as small. Like small changes like that would just make such a huge difference, especially cuz you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, the first eight weeks of being at home, like you're recovering, like, like without sleeping. So it's like, you're, you're yeah. trying to like heal your body and you're, you're keeping this new human that, that you just produced alive and you're healing, you know? And so the first eight weeks of, you know, your 12 week maternity leave, like it's silly to even like, that's not a, you're just, you're healing at that point. Like you're not, mm -hmm. it's, it's not a big, that maybe is honestly the biggest thing I'm going on my soapbox oh, now is like, yeah. you think of maternity Go. leave is like a vacation. It's not a vacation. You just had this like traumatic physical experience that yes, you got a, a wonderful, you know, baby that, you know, takes your entire heart, but you're yes. physically like it, it's, it's so physically demanding. And, and this idea that like 12 weeks or 16 weeks or 20 weeks, 20, whatever, pick, pick a number less than 52 is enough. It's, mm. it just isn't enough. It, it just mm -hmm. full stop isn't. And I, I don't know what the numbers look like, but I have to imagine that we can keep more, more, you know, birthing parents, more women in the workforce. If we just do that one simple thing and, and that's just better for everybody. Like it just is and and you know I, again working at a larger company and and seeing how many you know kind of going through these ro different rotations of of women who are on maternity leave like it happens all the time i i just don't understand like why what is so difficult about it where companies just think that the math says that it's better to only give a short amount of time like it's just not you know yeah and so that's, I don't know, that that's my soapbox on. on I love it. I'm, but, I'm on that soapbox with you, Rob. <laughs> well, well, right. But, but, but then like, as it relates to childcare, you, you, it's, you have such a truncated amount of time to figure out your childcare, which is, I think kind of landing this, this ridiculous plane I'm on that, that because you have such a small amount of time, I could totally understand why a lot of women are just like, well, I'll just stay home because mm -hmm. you only have like three or four weeks where you're lucid enough to even figure out, you know, what the childcare is going to look like. And it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And if you're not lucky enough to either find a nanny or have a good uh, daycare that you can, that you can reasonably afford, what, what are you supposed to do? You know, you're, right. you're just kind of stuck. And, and I think that's, it's just really, it's just upsetting and it's so, mm like a total lack of like creativity and investment and just a willingness to, you know, kind of sacrifice a little bit of short-term pain for long-term gain is, it's just so, it just seems so unnecessary after experiencing it. Yeah. It's unnecessary. It's also not, I don't want to say it's inhumane, but it's not human. Like in this country, we do not have policies that 
support our families. Mm -hmm. And with, so just to take the FMLA, which is what that means in a nutshell is having 12 weeks of job protected leave and that is from the federal government does not mean that you're paid the only reason that it is 12 weeks and i didn't know this until i had my first child and i started to do research so it wasn't just like i had a kid and then i just opened up a box of like knowledge about leave policies right. it was because i was pissed and i wanted to do research 12 weeks is arbitrary it has absolutely nothing to do with how much time is appropriate for a person's body to heal and recover and the time that's appropriate to bond with this newborn child. It was a number that was negotiated in Congress, I think in the 80s. I think the original recommendation, I'll have to go back and like find the actual numbers. I, I can't remember any data. That's why I have to like print stuff out in front of me. Right. But it was more up in the like 30 to 40 weeks was originally proposed by, I think it was a female senator. And then it had to be negotiated down. So it was like, let's negotiate to 12 weeks feels fine. Because when you talk about big corporations, they have a little bit more wiggle room to support mm -hmm. those kinds of leave policies. When it's smaller corporations, small businesses, that's where you start to hear the, well, the math just ain't mathin'. We can't right. offer that. But to me, it's like, yes, it's a math thing. It's also a values thing. So you want your people performing. You're not actually thinking, and that's like what's most important is that each of your employees is performing, but you're not thinking about, well, what, does it re what do they require to perform? I have to believe the longer you give someone to recover, to establish that connection with their child, to figure out appropriate childcare options, the better employee you're going to have. They're not going to be bringing as much of that stuff to work with them because they'll have been able, they would just would have had more time to, not that you like show up after you're done with your leave and you're like, even if it was a year and be like, I'm, I'm ready. Good. We got to figure it out. Everything's perfect at home. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's like you get a call from daycare. Your kid just threw up. Right. Okay. Right. There we go. But it's just, it is such a, I just, yeah, I'm on the soapbox with you. Maybe we can start to get to some of the conclusion questions here. So, so we'll get really reflective here, Rob. What has surprised you most about becoming a father? I think I am surprised that I'm not super neurotic all the time. I think while while Jess was pregnant, like I like I was so nervous about bringing someone into the world. Like I think the world's a really scary place and who knows what the next 100 years look like and I, there, there's all these reasons that I would, I would like had like this just general anxiety around like bringing a kid into the world. And then I'm still like nervous all the time, but it's so much more, she's just the focus. Like, I, I don't like, you know, I'm, I'm not as like plugged into the news as I was before, you know, she came and like, I think there's a much like healthier balance of like the media diet just by virtue of you don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> totally but but no I think to me like I I knew you know you, you fall in love with your kid immediately like the second you see him like that that to me like wasn't surprising I think kind of like the the lack of, of neuroticism 
where I, I genuinely was like nervous that I was going to be like just a ball of, of nervous energy all the time, which you don't want to do around a, a new baby because they pick up on that kind of stuff. I, I think that that is, was probably the most surprising thing. I think the other thing that really caught me off guard was, so I heard from like a lot of people that like, you know, you're going to come home from the hospital with the baby and you're just going to have this moment that just washes over you and you realize like, oh my gosh, like everything is, is different. And I think it is, I didn't have that. And, and, and the reason I didn't was, and I, I should say, I think the reason I didn't was, and I talked to Jess about this. She was okay with me sharing some of her, her labor story, but, but Jess had like a very, relative to the average labor experience, Jess had a really, really difficult pre-labor experience that was extremely painful. It was, it was really, really difficult. And it was about like two and a half days. And so we were in and out of the hospital for three days before she delivered Millie. And so by the time like I would have had like that moment at, at home, like we were just so we were just so happy to not be in the hospital anymore and, and just to just get home that like it I, that never really hit me. Like sometimes it, it, it hits me in like like little moments during the day, like like this morning, like I could not get this booger out. Like I was trying for like 10 minutes to just get this one boogie. It was driving me nuts. And she kept sucking it back in and I'm trying to get it out. Like those are the moments where I'm like, you know, this is my life now. And, and I love it. I love every second of it. But, but those are also the moments where it kind of hits you where it's like, I'm a dad. Like I'm responsible for this, this, this child. I'm, I'm responsible for modeling like what a good relationship looks like. Or my, you know, Jess and I are responsible for, for modeling that and like to create a home that that she feels supported in and those are the moments i think that it actually hits me most is like changing the poopy diapers getting the boogies out or like she's just she's got a lot of drool right now so it's just like all my like sweatshirts just have like a dark gray spot on my left shoulder because that's where the drool goes so so like those are the moments that it like it kind of hits me but that's probably the most surprising thing i think it's like those little things that like you realize oh this is this is it Yes. Oh, I love that so much. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Maybe you've kind of already answered this, but I'll ask it anyway. What's been the most rewarding part of being a father to Millie? I mean, it it just, it all is like, it's just so much, uh, it's so much fun. And it's, it's, I think seeing myself and, and seeing Jess's personality in her, like, that's like, like that's just really cool you know and and for me like I mean you can ask my mom if 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 I was crying at any point growing up it's because I was hungry you know like and that's Millie like she only cries when (laughs) she's hungry and so like starting to kind of like see myself in her a little bit Jess like seeing herself and me seeing parts of Jess in in her just like in you know she does like like she'll make these like little like coy smiles and it's like, it looks like it's just, just doing it. Aww. And so like that I think is, is like a really cool part about this phase. So she's you know, six and a half months old. That's a really cool part about this phase as is starting to kind of see yourself in, in your child. But like, as far as like rewarding, like it's, it, it's funny. Cause you, you feel like you're just constantly asking yourself, like, am I doing this right? Like, that never ends. That question right. never ends. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, and, and Jess and I both, like, you know, we, we read like some of the books or whatever sure. and, you know, all that stuff and <laughs> listen to the podcast, but it doesn't, none of that stuff like really sticks until you're like in it and you're just trying to figure it out. But I, I think know. like, I think like the times, like, 
there are times where and like Justin and I talk about this like where like like we actually can confidently say like we handled this situation well like where we'll give ourselves a pat on the back and it's like small things too it's like you know we we were gonna go somewhere and we thought to like change her diaper before we left like shout out us like we did it (laughs) like we're gonna make it through this car ride and she's gonna have a clean diaper like small stuff like that absolutely I feel like you should celebrate those small wins because it means that you've you're learning of what didn't work and you're right. changing and that can feel, yeah, just like, wow, I think I, I'm kind of figuring this thing out. Right. But I feel like, I feel like with being a parent, it's, there wouldn't be thousands of books and podcasts and webinars and all the things if we knew how what we were to doing. do it. Like it's yeah. such a, such a process. And I definitely have the same question both josh and i do are like are we screwing them up are we are we doing enough and i've learned through self-reflection going to therapy talking to lots of other people i have older sisters and siblings who who have kids like my parents you know like it, it, it the the resounding chorus of things that they say back to that is yes you are doing enough because you are showing up for them you're present for them you're caring for them you're providing a safe environment for them to grow up in you're loving them like it's okay if you don't have like the latest little gadget or like my kids I just kind of gave up on them dressing in like cute little matching outfits and stuff like I cannot believe the stuff that they walk out of the house in and that I I just can't believe that I let them do that when I have like such not I'm not like obsessed with what I wear but I I take that very seriously and with yeah. them. It's like, especially my third kid, my, my three-year-old, she just basically wears like shorts over pants, but I'm also like, it's creative expression. And then yeah. I don't have to dress them. So it's just like, right. you're, you're constantly making, you're figuring it out along the way and you're finding what works, like what battles do you want to fight with things do you care about? But I've just turned it into like, this is just a family value, creative expression. Right. I got to do that growing up. What would you say to someone who's has the baby, like maybe they're pregnant, baby hasn't entered the picture yet. They're not in that like figuring it out stage. What would you, what would you say to them? I would tell them that whatever their sort of definition of like what it means to be a support for your partner, like you need to really interrogate that and like be reflective enough to say that here are places where like, I think I could be doing better. Here are places where I need to learn more because when that baby comes and, and kind of similar to what we touched on before, like, you know, the, the birthing parent, in this case, you know, my wife, Jess was, it's, it's so inherently unequal because of the burden placed on, you know, the, the mom in this case, it is inherent. You're going to be really tired. Your, your wife or, or your birth, the birthing parent is, is going to be exhausted. Like, all of that is is it's just like this glass box of emotion and and being tired and exhausted, you know, all the above. And so I think that like really asking yourself, how can I be additive? How am I adding value? How can I sort of support the you know my my wife or my partner in what they're doing so that I can I can be better. And then I, I also think on, you know, as part of that too, it's like, how do I, or how do you need to take care of yourself so that you can be a good support? So like working out, eating right, like all those 
like things that you know you should be doing like you 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 have to not just a prioritize them but you also have to understand how they're going to fit into your schedule as 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 what's going to be required in order to be the type of support that you know your partner is going to require that's so important rob and i think i don't think we've touched on this piece specifically but there's things that i've seen again in my own little echo chamber about when a person has a child and they talk about like having make sure you have your village well some people don't have a village and so there's kind of this advice of like if you're going to have a child and you don't have this built-in village for whatever reason you need to start saving for your village and that strikes me as so heartbreaking that we know we need community like when we say village we need community we need people around us who are supporting us and helping us whether it's family friends neighbors church community whatever it is i really do appreciate the chance to come on and, and chat with you it's i mean becoming a parent is it's it's been great like i've i've really i've enjoyed it so i think that there's so many societal cultural all that is it's there's so many issues but i think like it, like making the decision to like bring a kid into this world and it's being a parent is it's it's pretty cool so i've i've it is. been very lucky that's for sure well rob thank you so so much for doing yeah. this i really appreciate it. this has been great no thank you wasn't that refreshing right like oh my gosh yes so refreshing Rob's fantastic. I wanted to make sure that I called out some of the facts that I had wrong about FMLA in the episode. So let's just get this straight. And I will link the website where I got this information from in the show notes. The earliest version of the FMLA was the Family Employment Security Act of 1984. And it called for up to 26 weeks per year of unpaid job protected leave to care for a new child, a child's illness, a spouse's disability, or the employee's own disability. Most activists actually wanted paid leave, but they worried that such a bill would not pass. And it wasn't until 1993 that the United States passed the Family and Medical Leave Act. Act, which is FMLA, which grants certain categories of women and men up to 12 weeks of unpaid job-protected leave for the following reasons, birth and care of a newborn child, placement of a son or daughter for adoption or foster care, care for an immediate family member, the serious health condition, the employees, and the employee's own serious illness or injury. So that is what FMLA is and I think I got some of those pieces wrong. Let's do some reflecting here. Are you about to have a baby? Or did you recently have a baby? Have you talked about what support you'll need from your partner, if there's a partner in the picture, or what you're doing for child care, how that division of labor might look between the two of you? If you are not the birthing parent, have you, as Rob suggested, interrogated yourself have you taken an honest look in the mirror and asked yourself how you can be additive in the relationship? What can you do? Where can you step in and step up? If you're lucky enough to have a built-in village, how's that going for you? And if you don't have a village, whether it's 
natural kind of built in or outsourced or some kind of combination. Have you told yourself that you're doing the best you can with the resources that you have in this moment? Because if you haven't done that, you really should. It's important. We were not meant to do this alone. And if your kids are older, have you reflected back on what it was like when they were newborns? How equitable was it? How how did that look? Do you have ideas or topics that we can discuss here? Do you want to be on the show? Or do you have a recommendation of a man that I should invite on the show? Email me at beyond the echo chamber podcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at beyond the echo chamber pod. Thank you for being here. Go have those hard conversations.